Welcome to Corporate Worship Online for Hope Church. We're so glad you're joining us. Uh, several things that we'd like to plug today as, as, as we start uh, this morning. Uh, one, one is this, during Ramadan, which is an Islamic holiday, many Christians around the world are actually praying for Muslims. A ministry called PrayerCast is supporting this. PrayerCast.com, you can go to and literally sign up yourself to get daily videos and directions for praying, that we want to see the 1.8 billion Muslims come to know the truth about God, their creator, and rightly worship. So we're going to pray in just a few, few minutes for Muslims around the world. We're doing that in corporate worship physically, those gathered here on Sunday mornings. Uh, so we'd ask you to participate in that with us. I want to mention that this coming week on the 21st is an intro to Hope class. It's also a class required for membership. I, I teach that course. It's just a couple hours. Uh, on the, in the evening, you can sign up for that online. If you want to just learn about not just the, the membership process and the nature of being part of a church, but about Hope Church itself, I encourage you to sign up for that. Save the date and even consider signing up for uh, Hope's family camping trip during the first week of August, August 4 to 7. We'd love to see you there. Several of us are going to be up there. This is the first year we're doing it, and we're excited I hope that this is something we can regularly do. So more information will come out, but already plug the date, August 4 to 7. Even if you can't come up and camp with us, you could still come up for a certain day activities. So just be aware of that. Put that in your calendars. Uh, one last thing, just ministry-related, is we, are, we have two missions trips coming up that we're going to do a fundraiser for. We invite our congregation uh, to support and help through the local teams going out. We've got a high school trip going up to do a trip this summer in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is part of something connected with our own denomination, the EFCA. We also have a Poland team, which we every other year the Poland team goes to Poland with our strategic partnership with some Christians and churches in Poland. Uh, the fundraiser is going to be like this. We are going to literally have some envelopes in the lobby that you can grab one of those with specific dollar amounts. If you are willing and the Lord leads to take one of those, fill in that dollar amount and bring that back to the church, we would be grateful. If all of that is done, we have a huge blessing to somewhere near 20 high school students and also our Poland team. If you don't physically come, you can literally go online and click on the giving box and one of the drop boxes includes giving to one or both of those trips, and we just encourage you to do that. I do want to make one uh, explanation of a, of a change we're making for the gathering on Sunday mornings. In light of where things are at and our inclusion of growth hour and kind of filling our schedule, and for other reasons, we are removing registration and check-in for Sunday mornings. That's convenient, in a sense, for our people who weekly would be registering or just checking in as they come in, we're removing that. We, we are not ceasing our concern for the medical issues at stake. In fact, even right now, as we speak, numbers are rising. We want to be cautious. We are incorporating little spacer cards for social distancing on the seats. So if you do come in and worship with us, you will see some of those changes. An update video is going out this past week. And I hope you can watch that and hear about it. Let me read our scripture for today and then... Then we'll pray. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes this. If you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. 
Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's pray. Father, we come, and even online, our gathering is intended to focus our hearts and our minds on you, to hear from your word, to worship, even in our setting with our family or even individually. Lord, we acknowledge that this season right now, as we join with this prayer cast ministry to pray for the 1.8 billion Muslim men, women, and children who right now are focusing their hearts to the wrong God, to a false God. Father, we pray that you would open their hearts and their minds to the truth of the gospel, that they would come to know their creator and their Lord, Jesus Christ. We ask for you to work in ways that go beyond what we could imagine by your spirit, ministering through pastors and missionaries and missions agencies and even local churches that Muslims around the world, in our own nation and around the world, would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help our church to have our hearts softened for those who do not know the gospel, and to be praying regularly for those and for others who need to know Christ. We are on mission. Help us to remember that. Father, we have lots of activities that are beginning to open up in our church. We have lots of events that are scheduled in the calendar and upcoming. Guide us as a church as we return even in the midst of COVID, to some level of normality. I pray for bonds and relationships, for people who have been distant to come back, for people who have been less served to be more served and loved and cared for. Father, help us to be faithful and as a church to be fruitful with gospel ministry and gospel relationships. Be with us now as we turn to your word to hear what you have to say to us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says this in verse 6. Here's my summary. The church should be filled with serving Christians, nourished on truth and sound doctrine. That's what he's saying in verse 6. Those are my words, but he says it this way. If you, talking to Pastor Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you'll notice if you're looking at the ESV, ESV always takes that masculine plural and just the word brothers and just leaves it brothers, but always... The Bible is using that masculine plural in the original Greek to refer to men and women. In fact, I just wish they would include that. This isn't the promise keepers to whom he's writing. This is a local church. He's exhorting Timothy to give these things, to do these instructions, things we talked about in verses 1 through 5 last time, to present those to the brothers and sisters, to Christians. And if you do, and when you do, and as you're doing it, Paul is saying, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because you're trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now let me just talk about that last, the last couple phrases a little bit. First, the word servant in, in verse 6 there is the word we saw earlier in this book translated as deacon. So it more generally can mean just servant or even minister. 
Now, when you hear the word minister, you're thinking of a staff pastor, an ordained reverend. But I, but I want you to remove that from your mind. He's spoken about that before, and certainly Timothy is qualified in that sense. But the normal use of the word is not pastor. It actually normally is used to refer to non-pastors. That's why I think it's right that the ESV says you will be a good servant of Christ, meaning you along with others. It doesn't say good minister, because if you and I see the word minister, we just think of well, every, every, you know, the ordained reverence. But Paul is speaking about what the church as a whole should do. In, in essence, it is a term that fits the many members of a church who serve in various areas of ministry. So what is he commending here? What is he saying to Timothy? That ministering servants who serve their church well because they are well-fed is what the goal is. In fact, even in even that last phrase, the ESV says, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine. That word trained is only used, the Greek word is only used here in the New Testament. And while it relates to training, it is more commonly used for feeding. And in this context, probably best carries the sense of nourished. Someone who is well-nourished. Again, think of that sense in food. They're healthy. They're, they're energized. They, they get a balanced diet. They're satisfied. They're, they're ready to, for action and to go. They're not lethargic and sick and weak. They're well-nourished. What a great word picture. It is picturing people well-fed on the gospel or the Christian truth and biblical doctrine. That's what Paul says, nourished in what? In the words of the faith and of the good doctrine. People are fed on scripture. People are fed on the gospel and what is true. How blessed would such a church be? Again, don't just think a select few ordained ministers think the body of Christ, all of arguably the members of a church who are not just receiving and being well-fed, but energized to be giving. That's what discipleship is. There can be, a, there can be such an unhealthy obesity in the Christian life where we literally are just intaking all the time and we're never exercising. And we, we, we can talk about that in our American culture in regard to literal food. But I wonder if that same habit just translates right into the local church. Well, we are just experts at being fed. We are literally having a huge caloric intake on great teaching and great worship and great fellowship. And literally, we never exercise. So you see what Paul's commending? How blessed is it for someone to be having been nourished, having been well-fed on the truth of the Bible and Scripture and God's Word, to then be putting it into action. How blessed would the church be? Well-nourished people energized to be good servants. Notice it's not just received with one's mind. Look how Paul ends verse 6. Trained or nourished in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This is something you're acting out. Good ministers in the church are quite simply good disciples of Jesus. 
That's his lay and staff. Isn't just talking about the pastor and elders or even those in the formal office of deacon. This is talking about a Christian church, the body of Christ, Hope Evangelical Free Church of people that are well-nourished in truth and the gospel, that are therefore ready and energized to serve in ministry. That we would hope, Lord willing, to have a culture of nourishment, that people are energized with gospel truth and biblical truth. They're saturated with it. Their bellies are full. They're fully satisfied. They're energized by the truth of the gospel, and they are ready to be good servants of Christ Jesus. You want to be serious about discipleship? Be serious about service. And you want to be serious about service? Be a good disciple. Eat well. Exercise. That balance in the physical body relates to the spiritual. I need to plug again the importance of Ephesians 4.12. We've talked about that several times in recent months. It's just important for us to note because it's so easy for us to professionalize church ministry and work. That is so dangerous. And I'm not saying that's dangerous to the effectiveness of a church, but it is. I'm saying it's dangerous to individual disciples, that they literally are obese on biblical data, and they are not serving and exercising what they were designed to do, to move and serve and use their hands and their feet and their hearts for the work of the gospel. Ephesians 4.11 says this, that God gave all these officers, including shepherds and teachers, then Ephesians 4.12, for what purpose? To equip the saints, every Christian, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then he explains that further as say, for building up the body of Christ. An image of body becomes so important because Paul's going to trace that here in this letter. Like, don't just think of the body of Christ in the sense of the church. Well, it's part of it. It's also that same image of the physical body, that a physical body is well-nourished and well-exercised. How beautiful is such a church that is well-nourished and well-exercised. So then Paul switches in verses 7 and 8 and talks about how do you get there? How do you get to the point where you're well-nourished and well-exercised as the body of Christ? My summary of verses 7 and 8 is this. The church should train its congregants for godliness, which has present and eternal value. Here's what Paul says. He, totally using the image of the body and of exercise and of training, he says this. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Verse 7. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Paul uses that mental picture of an athlete in training to describe the development of servants and ministers in the church. Like a dietician or a trainer would say, hey, cut out the junk food, avoid these things, and here's what you're supposed to do to be healthy, to get your body in good condition, to make sure that you're in good physical place. So now Paul's saying the same thing to get us in a good spiritual place. Hey, avoid these things. Like This stuff is junk food. This is junk spiritual stuff. Do this, though, to get in a good spiritual place for the sake of the body of Christ. Avoid false teachings and exercise for the attainment of godliness. What is Paul referring to, do you think, in the beginning of verse 7? He just simply says irreverent, silly myths. But what would that be today? Maybe things like urban legends. Maybe things like conspiracy theories. 
How about this? Endless issue-oriented, often polemical blogs and websites. How about even aspects of social media? I, I, I saw a post on Facebook recently where literally people, this was a Christian brother just shredding our current president. Now, there might be truth and reality or a particular subjective opinion about those things. So be it. Wonderful. They have the full right in Christian liberty to do that. That is the kind of things that Paul's saying, hey, that's junk food. That is total junk food. How much of our time is spent on those kind of irreverent, silly myths? Things that are ad hominem and aggressive and polemical, issue-oriented, that, 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 that miss the greater purpose of God's kingdom in the world. Things from which wise Christians would stay away. I, I, I say this cautiously, but I worry that the amount of time that Christians spend on aspects of social media actually are the kind of things the Apostle Paul would rebuke today. The amount of intake we get with our political-focused websites or other kind of irreverent, silly things are the kind of junk food that Paul would say, that is not a diet for somebody who is training to build up the body of Christ. That is not it. Yet those are things that often go untouched. In fact, they seep into a church, just like in our cupboards, the foods that we shouldn't or even wouldn't want to eat. They just seep in there. The, the eating habits, they're just hard to break. Brothers and sisters, we've got to break those. We've got to open ourselves to the reality of some of these things fit the very things Paul's speaking about here in verse 7. In contrast, he says, rather, at the end of 7, train yourself for godliness. What is godliness? The Bible defined it as this Christian old biblical word called sanctification. Sanctification just means being made holy. That when you become a Christian, literally God latches onto you and begins a process of renewing you, which will extend all the way to the new creation. So that one day, after your last act of obedience, which is death, in due course, God will raise you from the grave, give you a new creation body, fully purified from all sin and death. And that begins not when you die, but when you die to self, when you become a Christian. And it's beginning even now in this world, though not finished until the world to come. So ultimately, godliness needs God to do the ultimate work, but it's happening now when the chains of sin and death are broken and you begin to move away from the things that are bad junk food and you begin to embrace the things that are ultimately of eternal value. That we become conformed to Christ. We become healed by the gospel's truth that the ministry of the Spirit is at work in us. That's godliness. So Christians should discipline themselves and pursue this uh, uh, that result in focus, stamina, and even mastery of the Christian life and ministry. We become experts in this, like, like somebody who regularly eats well and exercises, have disciplined themselves to engage in physical things in a certain way. So a Christian, growing in maturity, has disciplined him or herself to stay away from things that are just not worthy of their time or detracting from what they're trying to accomplish and have high level of spiritual 
fittedness for life and for ministry. Imagine a church of people like that. Training happens then through the church's corporate life, through institutional aspects like a growth hour, like corporate worship on Sunday morning, like Sunday school classes for our children, like small groups that we have, but also in organic ways, just relationships and iron sharpening iron and the general fellowship of the body of Christ. But it can also happen in personal ways, that outside of church you study God's Word, you regularly read, you're meeting with Christian friends. That's the training. The image is helpful. Paul says if physical training is useful, verse 8, Imagine how useful spiritual training is. If, if a lean waist and bulging biceps are attractive, how much more a person formed to Christ and serving generously? Just as you might think about the benefits of physical exercise, of walking up several flights of stairs and not being winded, being able to carry things without pain in the back, just the, the energy you have and how well you feel when you're eating well. Think of it in the Christian life and think of it in moments of service that you could see around this church building here. Those serving on Sunday morning, greeters, ushers, somebody doing with tech or worship team or serving in one of the classes, that they have to have a compassion, a sensitivity to people. They're there because they're giving of themselves and their time. They're willing to serve. They have to have an ability to make connections, to see a need, to connect two people that might be able to help each other. Just imagine uh, scores of people on a Sunday morning in this church building ministering in that capacity. How about those ministering to children and to youth? Again, they have to have a deep level of patience. Well, they're understanding. They're, they're accommodating themselves to explain the truth to a four-year-old or a 14-year-old. They have to have compassion, a, a love, and a generosity that engages. And all of those traits are not just put on like a mask, but are developed like conditioning where our own lives begin to overflow in our service to one another. How about just in a small group, right? We could be totally just chatting about which president we do or don't like, or all of those kind of silly, irreverent things with our polemical talk on lesser kingdom issues, or we could be focused on God's Word, helping people understand the text that even right now we're preaching, having wisdom to know how to connect God's Word to God's world in the lives of people in our group, in building bonds and relationships of support that extend for years ongoing. That's why Paul says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Think of the possibilities. As it holds promise not only for the present life, but it is literally the beginning of the life to come. Paul ends in verses 9 and 10 with one of his five sayings in the pastoral letters. This is the third of five what Paul calls trustworthy sayings. Each of these explain a truth or a power of the gospel. And ultimately what Paul is saying is this, what motivates ministry and godliness is a supernatural hope anchored in God. This is what he says in verse 10. 
for we have for, for to this end we toil and strive. Like just again, picture somebody in a training regiment, striving, working, sweating, grunting in effort. Why? What is the reason for that? Because we have our hope set on the living God, the Savior of all people, but especially those of us who believe. What is Paul's point in verse 10? All our efforts, all of them, in ministry and for godliness is because the gospel gives us great hope. We, what we strive for and aim at is what Paul describes as hope set on the living God. Like it is, it is locked in, like a scope. It is locked in. It is set on him. When Paul says that, he's talking about a hope that is supernatural. It isn't actually just based on us. It's not like kind of a blind faith or just kind of a, kind of a, a Hail Mary kind of reality. It is actually that we are personally connected to God. Look at how verse 10 ends. Especially of those who believe. They're living God the Savior. We are personally connected to God, and we are anchored by the power of the Spirit. We, we talked last week about how in our tradition, and it need not be us at all, but in our tradition, people can minimize or underemphasize the role of the Holy Spirit. That's just be a big mistake. Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, is what the Christian life is. From the Father, through the Son, and in the Spirit is the Christian life. The Trinitarian God is the gospel. And the reality of that is that this hope is now anchored in us. Like We are connected to God personally. And it is real. It is, it is palpable. It is securing. There is a safety. Even though you feel insecure at times, you are secure in God, the living God. This is not some myth or temporary thing, but in the God who created us, who sustains us, who has redeemed us, and who will finish his redemption in us at the new creation. Three times I've been able to go to Camp Timberley for the fifth grade outdoor education half week with Connecticut schools. I got to go with both of my boys, and I got to go with my, my, my mentor boy, with whom I've mentored through Kids Hope USA for the last, coming on, seven years. And in all of those times, there's a, there's a moment where the kids in the group that I'm with uh, are, are kind of two cabins, a boy cabin, a girl cabin. There's usually two dads and two moms. We go and we go to this particular climbing wall at Camp Timberlee. If you've never seen it or tried it, it is, it is quite daunting and impressive. Several stories in the air, and the kids get there, and you can just see in these fifth graders this fear. And then the, the, the staff workers, they have them all sit down, they give them some instruction, and then they have them get on their gear, and they have them get on their harness, and they, sh they individually strap them on, make sure everything is fitting right. They talk about and give instructions. And then the kids, even some of the most fearful, they know they have this harness, this anchor connected that will fully support them. And they're being encouraged and exhorted by their friends, by the, the parents like, like me, and by the staff. And some of the most fearful kids literally holding on, maybe only 10 feet off the ground. And, and, and when they just kind of let go, they just grab that harness. And calmly and carefully, the counselor or the staff person brings them down. That, that, that harness anchors them securely. Like even those that were able to climb up halfway or almost to the top 
are just as safe as those a foot off the ground because they are locked in. They are anchored. Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is describing for you and me. Like we have this goal that we're striving. God's Spirit is, we are harnessed by the Spirit of God. Nothing, neither life nor death, the devil himself can do anything to those that God has set his love upon, to whom he is bonded personally and given his spirit. And he's calling us to not be messing with junk food, but to focus on what the task is, to strive for godliness, and not just to be obese in our godliness, but godliness that is lived and exercised, to be servants of Jesus Christ, to be Hope Evangelical Free Church on mission, a culture of nourishment where people are well-fed. They know God's word. They love God's world, and they are seeking to make the truth of God known in their community and to one another. What a beautiful assignment we've been given. Let us strive, brothers and sisters, for godliness. I I challenge you to ask yourself this week what that looks like for you. In what ways do you need to be less obese when it comes to your Christian faith? Do you need to exercise more? Have you been saying, yeah, you know what? We go to church, but we really haven't we really haven't been giving in the sense of serving. We really ha- we, we've been receiving, but we haven't been giving. Brothers and sisters, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for even you and your kids in certain ways to plug in, to, to help with our children's ministry, to, to volunteer to serve in some capacity, to find ways where there's need, or even just to be on your own in organic relationships, more involved in the church or even more missional outside learning neighbors' names, inviting them over for a meal, connecting with people in the body, looking for needs that you can fill, because that is the goal. That is health. That is discipleship. A good disciple is a, verse 6, a good servant of Christ Jesus. And a good servant of Christ Jesus is a good disciple. They are the left and the right leg, and we can be so imbalanced in our physical life in our eating, in our exercising, with our physical bodies. And Paul is concerned that we can just as equally be more imbalanced in our spiritual life with our eating and exercising for the things of God. And when that happens, not just our own physical body, but the body of Christ is unhealthy. Let that not be our church. I pray that the Spirit of God will empower all of us through his word to respond rightly what Paul's exhorting, not just Timothy, not just a few professional, ordained, reverend ministers, but the body of Christ to be good servants, focusing on what they need to focus on and striving for godliness. That's my prayer for you. Let me pray for you now. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel and the truth that, that Paul presents to us. And Lord, with this culture's focus on the body, and physical health, and the attainment and striving that happens in that regard. Father, may your church, including this local church, be focused on the body of Christ. Father, I pray that you, in ways that go beyond what I would ever know, would be ministering by your Spirit in the hearts and minds of our people, that they would hear your word and be exhorted, rebuked, corrected, or encouraged to be healthy, with their spiritual life and their pursuit of godliness. Father, we say that not only for the good of the church and this community, 
we, we pray that for your own glory. Thank you for this medium that we get to connect with brothers and sisters who have not been able to be present with us. We pray that you protect them and keep them well in this continuing COVID era and that you bring them back to us soon. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.